Welcome to Mammoth Community Christian Church. It's a joy to gather together to worship our Lord, whether in person or online. We welcome you. It, this is what we're created for, to join in community before our Lord and Savior. Well, at this time, I'd like to introduce our, our speaker for today. He needs no introduction. Mr. Matt Lau grew up in our church. He ministers to us many times through preaching God's word. So welcome, Minister Matt. I want to thank Pastor Nathan for inviting me to come share the word with you all again this morning. Uh, it's been a while, I think a few months. So once again, I'm glad to be here. For those of you who had just come back from the EM retreat this weekend, I hope that you found it restful and full of enjoyment and came out of it with a renewed sense of mission going forward. And I think it's well-timed as I understand it that I think next week you're all aiming for a full reopening of in-person activities here at the church, which is, which is wonderful. So people can be encouraged to gather again to join this body here at MCCC. Uh, now, knowing that the floodgates uh, are going to be reopened next week and the walls of this church may house uh, more people than it normally has during the bulk of this pandemic, I meditated on what topic God might move me to speak about this morning, and I arrived upon the topic of kindness. I know that for many of us, this pandemic was and still is very rough, and I think that we can all agree that one of the hardest parts of it was the social distancing, basically the need to keep physically distant from one another so we can avoid spreading COVID-19 just in case we were unknowingly carrying it. And even though we could still maintain contact through technology, like through devices, uh, your phone or computer, texting, uh, video chatting, or just calling on the phone, I think we can all agree that it's not the same as being together in person. And I, I don't know if you can relate to this, maybe you can, but for me personally, during this pandemic, while I was using technology, I found myself having acted differently while using technology as compared to if I was there in person. So for example, I might be more aloof or distracted while on Zoom. And maybe you could relate to that if you were doing your virtual learning at school or being on those virtual meeting calls at work. And dare I say that maybe some of you may have found this to be true of yourself if you were attending a virtual Sunday service or virtual small group. But if that doesn't describe you, then great. Kudos on being 100% on top of your virtual game. But if it does describe you that I'm glad that the next sermon series uh, that if I recall correctly that you'll be going over is, is going to be stressed on the importance and biblical rationale of meeting together in person as a church. So I think that would be very cool. But all that to say, I think it's safe to say that the general landscape of human relationships, I think it took a hit during this past year and a half. And I feel that one of the things that seems to have been lost during this time was the art of kindness, the art of kindness. I remember seeing stories over the last several months when restaurants were allowed to fully reopen. You hear instances where customers were incredibly horrible to restaurant workers with some uh, owners saying that it's some of the worst behavior that they've ever seen. 
I remember seeing one particular story that was that went viral on social media of a place actually near where I went to seminary where they had to close down uh, so their so that their restaurant workers could experience a day of kindness. And and uh, now as we're getting more reopened in this country, I'm very surprised uh, to see that for example, in the airplane industry, how aggressive people are being towards flight attendants for doing their job. I think there's one video that went viral of um, this guy that was literally duct taped to his chair after being after assaulting the, the crew members. And now as the school year is about to open, reopen and uh, masks and vaccines are a hot topic, I feel bad for the school board members that have to put the priority of the safety uh, of their children first while parents are shouting and berating them uh, in public forums. And I know that's not too long ago that at the center of attention in media where Asians were the target of hate attacks. The lost art of kindness. It's almost as if this pandemic made people forget that kindness was a manner in which we could conduct ourselves when interacting with another human being. <laughs> Now, I know that I know many of the people here, and I can say that they're very kind in nature here at MCCC, but I think it would benefit any church that's getting ready to bring back a bunch of pandemic-worn people to look at a passage where kindness is being shown from one person to another. And that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. And from that example in today's passage, yes, okay, I want to highlight three things regarding this kindness, godly kindness that we're going to see here in this passage. The first is that this godly kindness here is an act of grace. The second is that this godly kindness here is full of abundance. And thirdly, this act of kindness is based on faithfulness. So act of grace, full of abundance, and based on faithfulness. So I'm going to read the passage first, then I'm going to pray, and then we'll get to the first point. So we're, today we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 to 13. I should have said that first in case you have your physical Bibles with you or you know your phone apps and you want to pull that up. We're going to be in 2 Samuel 9, verses 1 to 13. So starting with verse 1. And even though I'm going to start reading, feel free to take out the apps because I will be referencing the passage throughout the message. So it's not a one-time deal thing. Starting with verse 1, and David said, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. 
And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce, that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this morning, this beautiful morning that you've given us to gather together. Um, when other parts of this country are deal, still dealing with the disaster um, of Hurricane Ida, Lord, you've given us the opportunity to gather in person for worship, to pr- give you glory and praise, Lord. And I just pray that as we dig into this passage full of kindness, that you give us the hearts and uh, give, prepare our hearts and minds to receive the message you have intended for us. And may the Holy Spirit transform us in a way that we can apply this passage in our lives into uh, going into this week, Lord. I pray you give me the wisdom to to uh, explain the word clearly and to explain the word um, in a way that will uh, let us see the truth of the gospel at work, Lord. So once again, we just thank you and give you all the praise you deserve. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so to the first point, which is that this godly kindness is an act of grace. But before we get into the grace side of things, I think it's first important for us to look at the kindness first and also the relationship between the giver and receiver, so we can have a full picture and understanding of why this is an act of grace. Now, if you look carefully at verses, at the passage, you'll see that there are at least three occurrences of the word kindness here in verses 1, 3, and 7. Now, we see that kindness is going to be a big, play a big role in this passage, so what does that look like exactly? What does the author mean here when he's saying the word kindness? Now, some of you might have this preconceived notion that kindness is about being nice or considerate. Uh, maybe you offer a little encouragement here or give a helping hand there. It's something that might require a little bit of effort on your part, but you, know, you don't really need to take on too much risk or burden to actually be kind. You, you can pull off being kind without too much investment. I think, I think that's what the general perception of being kind nowadays is, which, you know, may include those things. But I think this is actually something more hinted at in this passage. I think that when we look at the mindset of the person in this passage that's looking to give kindness, there's more for us to learn. And we know this because we're looking at verse number three here. where it it specifies the kind of kindness that the giver intends to show the receiver, which was specified as the kindness of God. 
All right, so we now just upgraded from regular kindness to kindness of God. And some of you might be wondering, what does the kindness of God look like? How do you show someone the kindness of God? What would you do exactly if that was what your aim was? To figure that out, I'm going to draw upon the original Hebrew language to give us a helping hand. If you didn't already know, English was not the original language of the Bible. All right. A long time ago, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and then the New Testament was written in Greek. Now, since we are in 2 Samuel in the Old Testament, we're looking at the Hebrew language here for help. And the Hebrew word that is translated as kindness in our passage this morning, which is the same exact word that appears in all three occurrences, that is the word hesed. And it's actually the word that I have up there. It's the only non-English word that's on the screen right now. All the way on the top left, hesed. Now, anyone who has heard me teach on the Old Testament before knows that the Hebrew word hesed is a word that I hold in very high regard because it's often used to describe the relationship between God and his people, or, or more specifically, God's disposition towards his people. It's how he acts towards them. It's how he thinks of them. It's how he feels towards them. And throughout the different times this word appears in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, when you look at an English Bible, you might see different translations appear. So, for example, I looked up all the other places the hesed appears in the Old Testament, and if I'm using my Bible software correctly, it appears that this word hesed appears in the Old Testament in 239 verses, with a number of them in Psalms, uh, you might see it in the book of Ruth because that is how Ruth was to, to Naomi, Naomi. And of course, there's a very bumper sticker verse in uh, Lamentations 3 talking about how the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Hesed. And if you did the same kind of search that I did, you notice that every time that this word appears in the Bible, as I said, it does not always appear as the word kindness. In other verses where this Hebrew word hesed may appear, instead of kindness, you may see loyalty, mercy, faithfulness, good, and most commonly, steadfast love in the English translation. The reason being is that this Hebrew word can actually mean all of these things. All of it. And this makes sense because when you think about God's relationship and how he is towards his people, these are all his attributes, at the very least. Obviously, it's more than that. God is kind to his people. He is loyal to his people. He is faithful. He is merciful. He does have steadfast love for his people. My seminary professor used this phrase, covenantal loyalty, to describe hesed. And I bring that up as a point of emphasis to help us understand that showing not just kindness, but the kindness of God or Hesed runs deeper than our superficial understanding of kindness. Keep in mind, moving forward for this message, I'll probably be using kindness of God and Hesed interchangeably through my message. So um, in case you see me flipping through Hebrew and English, it's, it's not an accident. I'm purposely trying to do that. <laughs> okay. So when someone shows the kindness of God to someone else, it's more about more than just being nicer considerate. It's more than just performing a good deed for the sake of performing a good deed. It's more than just a more, little more of an investment and encouragement you offer in passing. As we will see in this passage, 
the kindness of God requires great effort, commitment, and sacrifice as well. So include all those things I mentioned before, but those things are not the end of the line. There's more to it. To understand how that is the case, let's take a look at the relationship between the giver and the receiver. So who's the giver and who's the receiver? It's more likely than not that you heard of the giver as compared to the receiver. After all, we learn from verse 1 that the giver is David, King David. The shepherd boy and the son of Jesse who defeated Goliath of the Philistines. He was God's anointed king who sat on the throne after an up and down roller coaster once Saul died. Um, and if you read 2 Samuel, you'll notice that the events of this passage took place not too long after he actually took the throne. So him doing this act of godly kindness was one of his early acts as king. So we learn from verse 3 that the receiver of David's godly kindness was going to be Mephibosheth. And he, who was Mephibosheth? He was a son of Jonathan who was a son of Saul. With, with King Saul's dynasty dispersed, uh, we learn from this passage that his grandson Mephibosheth was forced to leave his home. And, and was now bumming on the figurative couch of someone named Makir, the son of Amiel, in a place called Lodabar, which isn't actually mentioned much in the Bible. So some commentators consider it basically a place in the middle of nowhere. I, I think that is interesting. The author opens up the description of Mephibosheth in verse 3 and ends his description in verse 13, talking about his lameness. It seems as if the author wants to place a heavy emphasis on Mephibosheth's condition, which we know from 2 Samuel chapter 4, 4. He was lame. He was crippled from his feet because a nurse was running with him and dropped him, which teaches us never to run with kids who are five-year-olds or less. Mephibosheth had a serious disability resulting from the accident. And it was seen that this disability was associated with his identity because it was actually how he was referred at the beginning of this passage by Ziba. And it was referred at the end, that's how he was referred at the end of this passage by the author. He was someone who was broken. So to sum things up, Mephibosheth is not only from the fallen house of Saul, but he's also disabled. And before even meeting who they were individually had put their future relationship on rocky waters for two reasons. Look at how David described his feelings toward disabled people a few chapters earlier in 2 Samuel 5, verses 6 to 8. It says this, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul. Therefore, it is said, the blind and the lame should not come into this house. Here, David makes clear his feelings of hatred and a sweeping declaration that someone like Mephibosheth was not allowed to come into the city. So if he was really planning to go through with showing Mephibosheth godly kindness, he would have to deal with his own personal biases and break his own rule to do it. How could he do such a thing? This will undermine his own personal convictions and his authority as a king. 
But in order to show godly kindness to Mephibosheth, he was going to have to put aside his pride to do it, regardless of whatever political uh, power or authority he held. And that is true of anyone who seeks to show godly kindness today. In order to do this, you will need to count others more significantly than yourselves, which should sound familiar as that is something that Paul exhorts us to do as a church in Philippians chapter 2. However, David would not only have to put aside his pride in order to show Hesed to Mephibosheth, but in a way he would have to take on a risk of showing godly kindness to Mephibosheth. And here's what I mean by that. During his day, one thing that kings would do to ensure that they stay on the throne is eliminate the competition. You would get rid of anyone who has a viable claim to the throne. So it defies all logic that King David would invite Mephibosheth, the grandson of the man, Saul, who hunted him and tried to kill him, it's weird that he would not only help him to stay alive, but invite him back into the city. And as a result, back into his life, if he was ever part of it in the first place. Even though Mephibosheth was not a dangerous guy in of himself, his presence was theoretically a threat to King David. His kingship and his life. And yet King David was more than willing to take on that risk to show Hesed to him. He was willing to make that sacrifice. So, given David's history and the shaky ground on which his future relationship between the two people appears to be on, one might think that Mephibosheth would be the last person whom David would go about showing godly kindness. Mephibosheth did not do anything to deserve David's Hesed, but instead actually has... Re- has given David reasons to not receive it, or at least to receive the opposite of Hesed from David. And yet, despite that, David shows Hesed to him anyways, which is why this godly kindness is an act of grace, and a very strong one at that. But why is it? What is it about this grace that is so fully abundant? What does it entail? This brings us to our second point, which is that this godly kindness is full of abundance. And this abundance comes in the form of a holistic restoration for Mephibosheth. And and by holistic, I mean David's godly kindness addressed Mephibosheth's external and internal needs. In in verses 7 to 11, in showing Hesed, David gave to Mephibosheth uh, the family estate, uh, returned all the employees, Uh, from his grandfather Saul to to Mephibosheth. He now had land he could live on, and he now had employees that could work that land that could now provide substance uh, for him to survive. There was an opportunity opportunity for a more financial stable future, not just for him, but also for his family. He was pretty much set. He did not have to uh, worry about living paycheck to paycheck, though not sure if he actually worked while he was a lot, uh, on that guy's couch. Um, he was not going to have to worry about how food was going to get on the table. He can now be a provider who was self-sustaining. He, he no longer had to be a charity case. By doing this, not only did David give him a Mephibosheth stuff and, and restored him on a material level, but he, he actually gave him something more than that. 
In his act of grace, David's godly kindness gave him a Febesheth, back a sense of value and dignity because he goes from being a dead dog, which he called himself at verse 8, that was bumming on someone's couch to now someone who has his own place who can now live life on his own. By calling himself a dead dog, Mephibosheth considered himself dead weight. And I, I think he was ashamed by that because if you think about the image of a dead dog, especially, especially one that's lying on the road, what is your natural reaction? Imagine you're driving, though some of you might be too young for that. Imagine you're driving and you see a dead dog on the road. What is your natural reaction? I would hope I would hope that you keep your eyes on the road while you're driving, but the point being is that your natural reaction may probably be to look away. To look away from the dead dog. Why? Because that's not how you naturally envision dogs to be. Dogs are supposed to be lively, brimming with life. And when they're not, you know something is wrong. It's not something that our eyes want to see. It would seem that this is how valuable Mephibosheth saw himself. When looking at himself in the mirror, he can only look away. And by showing Hesed to him, David brought him back from that self-image. If the king is willing to look at me with Hesed, then maybe I can look at myself with Hesed too. If the king is not going to treat me as worthless, then maybe I don't need to think of myself as worthless either. This idea of restoration is continued with Mephibosheth moving back to Jerusalem because what it means for him is a return from exile, where exile is basically, in this context, being forced to leave your home. So from returning from exile, Mephibosheth was finally able to go home. And that is a good feeling, is it not? There's a feeling of relief that comes with being home after spending such a long time in a far-off place where nothing is really your own. I know that for me personally, whenever I go on vacations, at the end of the day, what I look forward to the most at some point is the prospect of being back at home. It's great that I can enjoy myself on vacation, but at some point in time, I just want to be home in my own bed, using my own bathroom, watching my own TV, having all my clothes that are accessible to me and not having to just limit myself to a suitcase. Sure, you can have fun while you're away from home, but home is still called home for a reason. But unlike me, Mephibosheth was not on vacation. He was not having fun where he was. He was forced to leave home because of the prospect of death. And things would not feel right until he returned home. And I can only assume that after the initial fear of coming back had passed, because once again, he had no idea what David was going to call him. For all he knew, David was just going to finish the job with his family. I think once he understood, then he could finally have a sense of peace and closure to being home again. Finally, the reason why David's hesitant Mephibosheth was so full of abundance is because it included a seat at his table, which this passage brings up four times. David could have ended his godly kindness for Mephibosheth at the material stuff. He could have ended it with him coming home. 
But no, he took it one step further. His act of grace, for, as far as he was concerned, was not complete until he extended an invitation to this guy to sit at his table. family lines is fully reconciled and that reconciliation is played out in verse 11 where it says that Mephibosheth so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons when it comes to human relationships you cannot get more reconciled than extending the invitation for someone to join your family here we are given the image of Mephibosheth being equated to one of David's own sons now, there are some naysayers who say that the reason why David wanted Mephibosheth at his table was to keep an eye on him. To that, I say, there's easier, cheaper, easier, cheaper, less risky ways of doing that. In actuality, I think based on what we've seen here, you know, what we've seen David say and how he's acted, I think he genuinely wants Mephibosheth to be at his table for the right reasons. I think he really wanted to show Mephibosheth Hesed. So for some of us, this may naturally lead us to ask the question, if we seek to show Hesed to others, godly kindness, because, you know, we're God's people, is this how we're supposed to act towards others all the time? <laughs> some of you might be thinking that question. Are we meant to go all out at any cost to ourselves to show this kind of, uh, kind of kindness to others? Good question, but not the question I would suggest us asking ourselves regarding this passage since it takes place under specific circumstances, which I will get to the next point. Plus, we know that even though God had hesed to his people, he didn't always shower them with blessings like this. No, his hesed manifested in his consistent faithful presence among his people and the fact that he always provided them with what they needed. He didn't give them the perf he didn't give them the perfect life or fairy tale ending in all circumstances. I think a better question that we should be asking ourselves when looking at this passage and when hearing what David did from Mephibosheth is that when the occasion arises, when the occasion arises, do we have it in us to go all out to show a stranger or maybe even an enemy godly kindness? All right, let me, let me say that again. The question that we probably should be asking ourselves is that if, if and when the occasion arises, do we have it in us to go all out to show a stranger or maybe an enemy godly kindness? Are you willing to go out of your way and take on the burden of meeting their needs when you are someone who has the ability to do it? Can you put your pride and personal convictions aside long enough to help Give them a helping hand. Are you able to reconcile with an enemy when every natural fiber of your being says, no, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Don't give in. Stand your ground. Die on this hill. Can you do that? The reason I ask this is because this pandemic has shown me uh, how easy it is for people to, to loathe. And I use the word loathe because I feel like hate is sh a strong word each other. I've come to see that it's very easy for people to loathe each other. Um, even people in the church. 
This past year and a half brought so many topics to light, including politics, science, what is the truth, <laughs> uh, which has led to disagreements, uh, gossip, and uh, divisions in the church. Guilty as charged. <laughs> and when conflicts arise like this arise, I have to wonder how many of them could have been resolved if both sides, both sides showed hesed to one another. Here, David goes out of his way to treat a, a theoretical enemy as family. And yet people in the church who are effectively a spiritual family can't seem to do this for one another. <laughs> when push comes to shove, enemies remain enemies, which is why churches split or people leave. Although I do feel it important to highlight that I specifically said both sides would need to be showing each other hesitant for things to be resolved. Because if it is not mutual, then one side is always getting beat up or taken advantage of. Which is an unhealthy situation. And at some point, when it looks like things are just not going to change, and you're always going to be on the receiving end of someone's abuse, then you need to take care of yourself. But here, David is showing one-sided hesed to someone who did not deserve it, and was for all intents and purposes a threat to him. That is an incredibly tall order to fill. Though being a king, that has its health, uh, that has its uh, helpful advantages to do it. But how did he bring himself to do it? Was he doing this out of the goodness of his own heart? Is he just a better humanitarian than all of us could possibly be? What was his motivation? It, why was he so committed to performing this incredibly abundant act of grace to someone who did not deserve it? This leads us to our third and final point. This godly kindness is based on faithfulness. Faithfulness to what, you may ask? Well, we get a hint of the answer in verses 1 and 7 when he says that, I am doing this, I am showing you kindness, this godly kindness, for the sake of your father, Jonathan. So we learned that other than being the son of Jonathan, David's motivations for doing this for Mephibosheth has nothing to do with Mephibosheth at all. So why was David so committed to showing Hesed to Jonathan's son specifically? It's because of a covenant he made with Jonathan. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 12 to 17, it says this. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness, when I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, or the third day, behold, if he is well dis disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love, or hesed, of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love, or hesed, from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. This sequence of events takes place... Um, during a, a, 
part of the narrative where they're trying to establish whether or not Jonathan's father Saul wanted to kill David. And in the in, in the middle of this brainstorming session, uh, they formed a covenant, which is a binding contract. Jonathan would save David. If they got through this, David would show Hesed to Jonathan and his family as well. Jonathan fulfilled his end of the contract. He saved David's life. He was a savior. So even though Jonathan was dead and would not be around to hold David accountable, David still responded to that covenant with faithfulness by showing Hesed in the same way he was shown Hesed by his savior. That is why David was performing this act of grace full of abundance to a stranger who posed a threat to him. He was showing godly kindness to Mephibosheth as a result of faithfulness. I think I said that right. <laughs> to a covenant that his Savior made with him. And if you think about it, that's probably the only way he could possibly move to show Hesed to Mephibosheth. Emotions probably would not have moved Hesed, uh, would not have moved David's eyes in Mephibosheth's directions. And intelligence would probably have kept David away from Mephibosheth. Yeah, it's better off that that guy stays there on that couch in the middle of nowhere. However, his faithfulness to the covenant would not allow him to go down that route. His faithfulness to the covenant overridden those emotions and that intelligence. That's not to say that they were completely ignored, but his faithfulness took a higher priority in terms of his actions. When we hold faithfulness to a greater to be greater than how we feel or how we think. We can do things that we wouldn't think was possible for us to do. That God would want us to do. Like showing Hesed to someone that we don't like. Right? To, to give money to someone that you know probably will not pay you back. To, to give someone rides to the airport knowing that they will never give you a ride in return. And this includes showing Hesed at a cost to ourselves as an act of grace. And some of you might be thinking, well, it is great that David has this covenant with Jonathan to motivate him to show Hesed to Mephibosheth. But what does this have to do with our own lives? How can we apply this concept of being faithful to a covenant for us to be able to show Hesed to others? I would say that just as David had a covenant to respond to in faith to show Hesed, we also have a covenant that we can respond to in faith to show Hesed to others. This covenant also comes along with an invitation to a king's table. And this will probably be mentioned again later for communion. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, Jesus made a new covenant based on grace, showing hesed to sinners who are enemies of God. So that by dying on the cross for them, so that they may experience the, the abundance of eternal life. 
I point this out because I know that when we read a story like this, our initial reaction in terms of application in our lives is that, well, I'm King David, so I need to treat others like Mephibosheth. But actually, when we, when, what we need to understand is that Jesus is not only King David in this story, but he's actually the greater than King David who showed hesed to all of us Mephibosheths who were dead dogs before we even came to know him. It was Jesus who invited us to his table where he made a new covenant with his people, us. And it should ring pretty close to home because today is Communion Sunday. And some of you will be taking that bread and cup today. So if you are a Christian and have been on the receiving end of this new covenant that this Savior made with you, then you have a covenant that you may respond to with faithfulness to show hesed or godly kindness to others, strangers, maybe even potentially enemies, though I hope none of you really have enemies, enemies, fully abundant acts of grace in the same way that he showed it to you that night on the cross. And I'll conclude with this. This pandemic took a lot of things away from us. But at the end of the day, it did not take away Jesus' hesed to us. And if it did not take away Jesus' hesed to us, that means we still have Jesus' hesed in us to show to others. Which, if you remember from the very beginning, which can mean kindness, loyalty, faithfulness, mercy, steadfast love. Let's keep that in mind as this place reopens next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you again um, for reminding us of the kindness that you've shown us, that you foreshadowed in King David from Mephibosheth, which, was, which foretold what Jesus would eventually do on the cross for us. Lord, so much kindness has been lost in this world, but we don't have to worry because you are the infinite source of kindness that resides in us, Lord. And I just pray that you will use your church, your people, to renew this world in kindness, um, Lord, because there's no bounds or limits to what the gospel can do. So once again, I just pray that uh, as we move forward from today, Next time we come across that person that we just can't stand or that person that we disagree with vehemently, may we first understand that you reconciled with us first so we may reconcile with others. So we just thank you again for this and we give you all the glory you deserve. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. we gather around the Lord's table to remember the moment where God revealed kindness to us in its most clear and ultimate form, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ, the sinless 